Drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Hello and welcome. This is Drive-by Cinema Season 3, Episode 43. The podcast yes. where we watch the movies so you don't have to, with my host, Paul. And my co-host, Richard. Rick. Good reason to celebrate. And the third bank holiday in one month. Is this a record, perhaps? I'm just getting used to these four-day weeks. It's crazy, isn't it? And fabulous weather. Summer yeah. is almost upon us. I know that everything is going to hell in a handcart, or whatever the phrase is. When there's good weather and the birds are tweeting, who can complain? Unusually, normally bank holidays are notoriously poor climatologically. They always deliver rain. But this year, although everything else may be crap... It's been delightfully sunny on the bank holidays, hasn't it? Except for, oh, was it sunny when he got crowned? Maybe, maybe not, I can't remember. Oh, it rained a bit on the coronation. But that wasn't actually the bank holiday, was it? That was Saturday or whatever. It was well spotted. Paul, last week, speaking of the beautiful, summery British countryside, we watched the movie Men by Alex Garland. We did, and I made some impromptu remarks that I kind of need to go back to. Be my guest. This is the section of the podcast where we correct our previous errors and embarrassments. So, yes, Billy Bush- so, uh, I'll, I'll jump in and then you say what you have to say. Okay, so I, I kind of didn't really formulate, well, I formulated some argument ad hoc. So uh, what I was trying to say is I don't think there was sufficient distance between the narrator and the author uh, that it would be possible for maybe people sympathetic to male violence on women to kind of misread his intentions in making the movie. I don't think he had any intentions of portraying that violence in a certain way, but when there's so much violence visited on women in a movie, I think you have to these days signpost it that as an author, you're, you're, you're distant from it. That's all I wanted to say. And I didn't say it clearly uh, last week. I kind of said that maybe I was kind of, it kind of came across somehow that I was suggesting that he had a misogynistic intent. I don't No, but you're quite right in identifying something a bit puzzling about the way the story is presented. But we didn't really come out strongly with a good idea. What it was about, yeah. Of what it was about. But I mean, well, he's... I mean, I'd just, like just like to pause and welcome Paul's washing machine on spin cycle. <laughs> can you hear that? I, guess. I can hear it, yeah. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, God, it's quite loud. It's the last cycle, I think, so... Uh, the hey, heating Paul, element broken. We all need too. clean clothes, don't we? The heating element is broken. I have to pour hot water, hot kettle water down, down the spout so you know, get it to 40 degrees these days. Anyway, all that aside, Paul. Sorry, what do you, you want to say about last week? Well, I went and went and I looked up a YouTube video where someone explained what the meaning of men was. Obviously, I guess it's an interpretation like any. And, you know, who, who are we to know whether he was bang on the money whether he was right but he did say things that seemed to make sense in hindsight so i just thought i'd run it past you we'll see if by the end of the spin cycle if you agree <laughs> <laughs> i think it's finishing right now i'll just talk over the last minutes when it clunks and crunks in its final note here's the thing we've got a woman harper who has experienced the trauma of her partner dying stroke killing themselves yeah. and some grief and obviously some grief but obviously also some guilt because there is this suggestion made by other characters but also surely internally that she's somehow driven him to it yeah either because she locked him out and he tried to get in and fell off or because he threatened to kill himself and actually carried out that threat it's not really her fault in either of those cases but obviously we can understand why she would carry some guilt nonetheless. Hmm. So she tries to get away from her feelings by leaving the place, forgetting about it, and being sort of in denial, really. And I think the film, certainly this YouTube video is trying to suggest, film is pointing out you cannot escape these psychological prisons by trying to remove yourself physically, because obviously the, all the internal anguish goes with you, in your head. And I suppose under that interpretation, this film does take place in her head. And what we're seeing, ah. the expression of the guilt, to the extent that James ends up being 
all the people that she'd hurt through the, the climax of the movie with all those injuries inflicted, she literally did it in that, didn't she? So she's putting it all on herself by living out, acting out this scene in which she actually does those things to menfolk or, you know, the men who represent James, her, her husband, I think. Oh. And seen in that light, it is quite misogynistic because it is kind of reinforcing her, what's the word, her false guilt about it all. By how she's terribly wounded these people when she hasn't. I think we're supposed to understand... Again, it's an overreaction on her part, and she's. But again, that's quite again, that's not signposted, is it? Yeah, so that's I think where it's lacking really in terms of direction. What do you think? Do you buy this theory then? Yeah, but that doesn't really explain the cocoon-like multiple alien births <laughs> from man manginas at the end, does it? Well, you, I think you were and saying later that... from a man mangina throat. You, yeah, you were saying that it represents all the different aspects of men or masculinity or the patriarchy or something yeah i can buy that press. i don't know i don't know there's no keyboard warrior at the end though was there you know there's no <laughs> I, I said it seems to be like an evolution of man didn't it that's the other thing i didn't express clearly yeah so man is various not life cycles first on uh, four legs then on two legs then on three legs yes something like that. <laughs> by three legs i'm hoping that you mean the office chair Probably no, it's not. a walking stick, isn't it? An old man oh, walking oh. with his walking stick. Put him at a porn star for a moment. Hey, well, that's, I mean, that's last week's film, though. Maybe we're done and dusted with that. No more. Oh, you look sad. Do you have something you want to say? No, I'm just saying I ho I'm hoping that after the musical interlude that I've chosen the right movie to watch. Okay, okay. It. Well, let's have a listen. Let's zip into some idiosyncratic music. nice that your washing machine has stopped just at the time where we would be overlaying music that could drown out your <laughs> spin cycle. Very good timing, well done. I think it stopped completely. Paul, well, the name of this film yeah. is, is... Well, this is it. I'm hoping I got the right one because there's Fall and there's The Fall. Right. This is Fall. I got it right, yes. Two girls climbing. Now, it's not about the American name for the season. Fall. It's a very descriptive name, isn't it, the Americans have for what we call autumn. Well, we didn't used to call it fall ourselves. That's where they got the word from. We used to call it fall. Autumn is a relatively new gnome. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. See, I was thinking that perhaps to help the Americans understand the seasons, all the seasons should have a similarly descriptive name. Just explains what the season does. Oh. Bloom. Bloom, that's great. Freeze. Some ray. Freeze, bloom. Some ray, fall. Yeah. Oh, well, summer is difficult. You could call it sunner or maybe... Ah, uh, yes. I've heard of these. The new mixed seasons. Oh. Mm. Okay. With, with global, with climate change, spring is no longer spring. It's sprunner. Sprunner. Or okay, like a brunch for a season. Like a brunch, yeah. Has a ring to it, though. Freeze, fall, freeze, bloom, and bake, or something. Yeah, uh, bloom and nicely, bake. Yeah. Nicely illustrative, yeah. yeah. Beautiful. There we go. But it's nothing to do with the seasons, Paul, this film. It's about actually falling. Yeah, now, if you've got any type of... Vertigo. Acrophobia. Acrophobia, is that of fear, which of, is fear of heights? Of which, of which vertigo is a very prominent a symptom. Ah, it's a symptom, not, not a condition. Sorry this, to go with the correction, but vertigo is uh, a sense of rotating or, or, or swimming dizziness. Okay. Dizziness. You can get for a, for a variety of conditions, including acrophobia, which is a fear of height. This film, I've got to say, I watched a great deal of this film tightly clenched. Yeah, I mean, if, yeah, I mean it did achieve its objective. It, was it to did. It feel deeply really uncomfortable about height. <laughs> and if you had any latent acrophobia, it would have been brought to brought to the fore of your mind and be challenged, I think, by this movie. I think I'm less afraid of heights after going through this deeply traumatic experience. There's an interesting thing, isn't there? Because they spend so long up there 
that you kind of acclimatize. You become to the used to it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it is. It's kind of exposure therapy, isn't it? But at each, uh, it is exposure therapy. But at each point where they do something ridiculously brave, <laughs> that fear was reawakened for me. <laughs> or foolhardy, as you may know, depending on what you feel about these two girls. It's a 2022 film, written and directed by Scott Mann. We start off with rock climbers on a really sheer rock face somewhere in the US, presumably. Yeah, this was terrifying, a terrifying beginning. So we've got a couple, a man and woman, who seem to be close. They're climbing this rock face. They are roped, mm-hmm. so they, they are putting, you know, pitons and... Well, Whatever. before this episode began, I thought I'd better research the name for crampons and pitons and that kind of thing. I've oh. forgotten to. So do you, do you know all about rock climbing? No. Because I'm not particularly sporty, but one of the... Well, it is a sport. Have you, you abseiled? I've abseiled, and I have done a bit of rock climbing and potholing and caving and stuff in my time. And rock climbing is quite a lot of fun. I quite enjoyed rock climbing, and I wasn't... The principle being that every 30 feet, you... Put some stuff into the rock, so if you do fall, at least you'll just bang yourself back. Yeah, I mean, the rock faces that I've done, like indoor and outdoor ones, it's roped all the way, you know. So you're always on a on a belay, so you can't really fall. If you're rock climbing the way they are, that's right, you put up safety ropes, so you limit the length to which you can fall. But note, you know, falling any sort of distance, really, and being caught on a rope on your harness is going to hurt, surely. surely because they weren't wearing helmets. No, they weren't wearing helmets. No, it's right. They were free. I think, I think free climbing is where you do it without a rope. Oh, gosh, I don't even think about that. Now, they're with a third girl. Hunter. Who is kind of the gooseberry, isn't she? And she... Is I think she might be free climbing. I'm not sure she, she was. Rope. She's getting uh, maybe uh, even a harder ascent of this even this dizzying rock face. Um, it's kind of competing with them, pushing them on to get to the top first. The, our couple have got to the point where they got to jump across some sort of crevice or that kind of thing, and the guy goes first. And does he make it? He does. Yeah, he does. And then he has to assist his well, his wife, as we discover actually, yes. and. It's Becky is her name, isn't it? Becky, he's called Dan, isn't he? He has to encourage her that even though she nearly slips, she has to hop over. The thing about rock climbing Ooh, is... It's awful. And, uh, you know, again, I'm not an expert. I'm, un- I'm only handing off here the little tips that I did learn when I did a little bit. It's important to try and keep using your feet. People have a tendency to cling on with their arms when they're climbing. Hmm. That's very tiring. You need to get a decent foothold... And, you know, you can stand up for any length of time, right? You can't hang on to something for very long with your arms. So it's important to use your feet properly. And the other thing is you need to keep yourself... This is counterintuitive, but you need to keep a distance away from the surface, from the wall. Keep your body away because, again, people have a tendency in fear and panic to cling tightly against the wall. And if, you, if you do that, you can't see your handholds. You'd have no perspective on... So you, you're scaring me already, please. Can we not talk about this? <laughs> he encourages her, and she does make the jump. But she, she does nearly slip a little bit, doesn't she, at one point? Yeah. But then he goes on up ahead, mm-hmm. above where the rope is, kind of thing. And he's going to put in the next belay point. So he finds a hole, and he's got all of these little springy things that you shove into the holes in the rock and they they latch in Amp on whatever, yeah. like a stent or something but as he's doing this as he puts his hand in this quite large hole actually obviously to find a smaller hole somewhere in there a bird or a bat or something that was living in the rock face flies out and alarms Dan because he wasn't expecting it because he gets a bird in his face and he, he falls back doesn't he incredible distance it must be over 50 feet now, he's stopped by the safety rope, which is belaying him to his wife, Becky. But he ends up dangling away from the rock face. So he, even though he's stopped by the rope and he's, you know, safely, in it comes on the rope, he can't get back to the rock face because it's sort of undercut at that point. 
which is, again, it was a pretty scary bit of rock to be climbing. And unfortunately, he can't hang on for very long. And he does end up, because I think the rope comes out of the belay point, doesn't it, with the um. sudden jerk and stuff. And Becky can't hold on to him on her own. He does end up falling with some, honestly, quite ambitious green screen special effects that weren't 100% convincing. But I imagine that the budget for this film was quite modest. Yeah. Usually you've looked this up. And it's not a massive budget film, is it? I mean, it's only got three cast members, basically, or maybe four. Um, and a few it takes, parts, yeah. takes place almost entirely in one setting, as well come to short. So we cut to, essentially, uh, the aftermath of his death, don't we? Yeah, Becky's getting drunk, isn't she, in a bar. She's not I handling think, well at all. And I think it's the kind of bar you would describe as a dive bar. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure, though. We don't really have them in this country. To the so extent they do. exist anymore. I don't think they really exist in the States anymore, do they? I guess, I guess not. Biker's her dad really existed. Her dad is the one guy looking out for her. Uh, Played not... by, by the way, Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Ah. But she's not receptive to his intervention, is she, in any way, in any shape or form? Well, I wasn't really sure about his grief counselling technique, because... Shouting at her. Yeah, it's just saying, you know, <laughs> step out of it, wasn't he? Really? Yeah. Now, she goes home anyway. She's had an argument with her dad. She's about to take a load of pills, by the looks of it. Yeah. When her mate, the one who was on the climb with them, called Hunter, Hunter, who has an online presence called Danger D, Danger D, yeah, she calls on the phone, and she's, oh, does she? She comes around actually, doesn't she? Yeah, and she lays out this plan to break out of the depression and do something again. You know, get back out there. She says something about you know, life's for living now. If you don't face life, you don't live it. You never. Then you might as well waste it. And she, it's a road trip, isn't it? They head out to what she thinks is the killer location for, you know, her YouTube presence. Doing um, it for clout. Absolutely. Like that guy. Out. Like that guy who keeps getting, has been arrested for the second time. Is he called Mizzy or something? Oh, Mizzy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Prank. What does he do? He goes, he breaks into people's houses or just walks into them when they're well, unlocked? He's, he's got a variety of pranks, really. And he was just arrested because he broke into a train. Man. He tried to leapfrog a Jewish man in the street, an Orthodox Jewish man, which Piers Morgan said was racist. I'm not sure that it is racist. So he was he was on Piers Morgan's whatever show. I saw a, a bit of that interview. Yeah, yeah. yeah where neither of them really managed to maintain their composure. <laughs> uh, not surprising. No, he was just arrested. He broke into a train, uh, the cab of a train. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, he just went into a home in London, uh, ran up the stairs and said hello to the kids kind of thing and then watched the TV and then walked out again. That's about six months ago. Uh, There's a lot of them doing it where they walk into the back of McDonald's or the back of B&M kind of stuff. Yeah. I've seen it. Yeah, I've seen that. A bit yeah. of a trend of that. Weird. Weird. But he did He did try to leave for uh, an Orthodox Jewish man in the street. Uh, he didn't succeed, unfortunately. Though it was a good attempt. It was a valiant attempt. The guy was very tall, about six foot five. But was he bending down or? No, no, I mean, he tried to go, you know, the whole six or five of them. Good grief. I mean, again, ambitious, but perhaps over ambitious. So, so she's doing plan? it for views. She's doing it for clicks, you know, uh, and she's all about, you know, recording the selfie moments, you know, and I guess Instagramable, YouTubeable moments as they're in the car going ahead. So, what's she going to do? She's going to climb a TV tower. Which was at one point the most, uh, not America's tallest building, over 2,000 feet high. And she suggests that they take Dan's ashes up there, just sitting poignantly on the kitchen countertop yeah. in, in Becky's place. And Becky and they're doesn't gonna... say, hey, you know, what's it got to do with you? My husband's ashes, but there we go. She lets it pass. She suggests scattering them from the top, which That's is very fair, isn't it? Yeah. Twice the height of the Eiffel Tower. Well, it's an abandoned TV tower. I guess we don't need them anymore, do we? So it's, I mean, when we arrive there eventually, we see it's, it's rusted in the hot Arizona or maybe Utah, Utah desert to, to now, not quite wrecking room, but it certainly needs a bit of repair, doesn't it? But Paul, before we get there, the audience is let in on a bit of a thing here, aren't we? Mm. Because it's clear from some of the old pictures and the way yeah. they're reacting to that 
What is, what's obvious, Paul? Danny, Danny Boy has had a bit of a go with Hunter. Yeah. So it's like, it's like Becky's best friend. So we're under the secret, but Becky isn't for quite some time until yeah, she's, a she has tattooed no foot. Be the tattooed last thing foot is revealed. Be the last thing she would imagine. I'm sure. Yeah. There is a tattoo giveaway though. Yeah. Mm. Because what we learn in in a flashback is that Dan doesn't say "I love you" to Becky, even though he's married to her. Yeah. Instead, he taps out one I four four seven or something. No, th three Paul. I oh. love you. It's the letters, isn't it? One letter I, three letters, four letters love, L-O-V-E, and oh, then three letters one, four, three. U, Y, O, U. One, four, three. So, she, I mean, they're doing a cameo whilst driving, not to be recommended, you know, front-facing camera, uh, just as they're arriving. It's a broadcast. She's live streaming. Live, yeah. She's got 6,000 6, followers live? I think so, yeah. yeah. Danger D is popular. And just as she's approaching the fabulous uh, TV tower, B67, TV Tower B67. They're crossing, you know, a tumbleweed uh, crossroads and uh, they almost get smashed by a lorry. Yeah. Woof. Adrenaline. They love it, kind of. Both of them, actually. Is it Becky, the other one? Becky is the bereaved wife. Even yes. Becky, you know, kind of comes out of her bereavement coma and says, woof, yeah, thrills. Let's go for it. So, so they kind of to... keyed up, aren't they, for climbing this ridiculously tall tower. And they're in a diner. In the in in sight of TV Tower B sixty seven, and it's in the evening, and they can see the red light on top because although it's out of commission, although it's not in use oh, they anymore, do mention that, yeah. for safety purposes, obviously it's got to have a special red light on the top as tall objects do. Whew. Now I'm not sure how CGI this tower was, but it is incredibly thin, and that just provokes. My real fear of heights here is just so, so skinny. Have you never been up to Winter Hill? No. Paul, we should do that. Oh, we should do, we should do a road trip. It's okay. really, it's really good. It's, it is very thin. <laughs> I mean, there are just so many provocative moments here where the wind's blowing and they're on top of this thing. Plot spoiler, you know, it's just, oh. I mean, I was prepared for the creaky ladder and that kind of stuff, but I wasn't really prepared for them to be sitting on top. Of a 2005. Oh, they do it well. Platform. They do it well. So, while sitting in the diner, Becky has run out of juice on her phone. And she asks very politely, she asks the waitress if there's any place to charge it up. And the waitress says, power's not free, and walks away. Yeah. What, what about? Well, really, it's a little hint, isn't it? So well, that yeah, Hunter we don't show her a special thing that's going to come in. Very what do we call this? Time. I mean, it's not foreshadowing, is it? Is it a spotlight, maybe, or a... I think it is foreshadowing. Uh, well, it is foreshadowing, but it's there to explain something, really, It's, a, isn't it's it? an expository moment, yeah. Expository spotlight, isn't it? There's also foreshadowing, yeah. Because yeah. what Hunter does is she wraps Cleverly. something around her hand. So she's somewhat dangerously. She pops the bulb out of the lamp that's on each table, as it and then she's a commutator of some sort. I'm not sure what it is. Well, she no, she just inserts the plug socket, plug, the okay. US plug socket, into the light fitting, and manages to engage with the completely differently shaped electrical contacts. I in guess the it's possible. Yeah, especially with an American plug. But fucking dangerous. Right. Yeah, because those silly little plugs are very quite small. Aren't they, those little American yeah. power plugs. But yeah, it is quite a dangerous thing to do, not to be recommended. But she does manage to charge Becky's phone without the waitress's approval. Phew. If they're stuck up the tower, that's going to be useful, isn't it? It could be if there's if if there's you know any electricity up there. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows. <laughs> so everything's laid out. I think you know we can see where this is going. Right. Okay. So and then the next day they start climbing, don't they? Yeah, they have to walk up through the desert past the deer. I think it was a deer. Being eaten alive by vultures. That's a bit of a foreshadowing as well, isn't yes. it? Yes. I think Hunter takes a picture, takes a video of it and says, feeling peckish. Just, it's a good joke. Because birds, you know, peck things. Yeah. Anyway, they reach the base of the tower and Becky, like any normal human being, looks up at this tower and nopes the fuck out <laughs> because it's absolutely terrifying. As you say, because it's basically, yeah, it's just one triangular cage structure 
all the way up the same di- sort of same width, with two thousand feet or so, nearly anyway. There's that bit at the top that that doesn't have the same caging on it. Interesting. Yeah, you know, all the tallest buildings in the world have those bits at the top to make them tall. I, I really don't know why the Guinness Book Book of Records includes those little tall pointy bits. Because it just encourages more pointy bits at the top, doesn't it? That's it right. does, rather, yeah. Yeah, flagpoles. Flagpole syndrome. Yes. Quite right. Just, yeah, just disqualify them. Make all the tallest things without flagpole. And there you go. That'll be done, wouldn't Instant it? Instant disqualification. It's like a false start, isn't it? Who can see a flag at the top of one of those flagpoles anyway? Nobody. Not 2,000 feet up. Nobody. Too right. So they start the ascent, don't they? And... After Hunter has talked Becky through her fear with a great, a great bit of pep talk material, let's face it. And they clip themselves together for safety pull. They've got 50 foot of rope between them. It is a ladder inside a cage, so you think, well, it's maybe not that dangerous going up there. But then we see the trembling of the stay cables or the We see one wires. or two nuts and bolts coming loose from the ladder. Loosening, down. yeah. Hmm. And the wind's this- getting up as well. And they stop halfway up at 1,000 feet. Yes. And they're reaching the top of the caged internal ladder section. And from here, they're going to be climbing on the exterior of a simple cylindrical structure that's on top of the cage for another 1,000 feet or so. And we get more bolts coming loose. Yeah. Which you seem unaware of. It's quite a rusty structure, as you'd expect yeah, for a disused... Abandoned. Yeah. Except here we've got to like, make a couple of important observations about this. As we've seen, they point out, there is a red light on the top of this structure. Yeah. For safety purposes. So for whatever reason, whoever owns this antenna, keeping it up there, maybe it's a landmark, maybe it's a site of historical significance. Who knows? Has to change the bulb pretty often. Someone has to change the bulb, exactly. And to do that, they have to maintain the ladder. Exactly, health and safety would come round to make sure. So, I don't know, that doesn't seem completely credible, does it? I mean, it's all in service of the film and everyone's vertigo, but I'm not sure it could really happen this way, could it? This is the thing, it must be very expensive to maintain these structures. For safety purposes, you have to make sure they're not just going to fall down. So, you have to have maintenance crews and they have to be secure all the time. And you have to put a red light on the top. So cheaper to demolish them, really, isn't it? Yes. You would think. Anyway, so they have to climb around about halfway up the thin bit at the top. Some satellite receivers. Yeah, they're microwave relays, aren't they, I think? Oh, of course, yeah. And Hunter just climbs around them like a monkey. And as she's doing that, a bolt dislodges. Uh, Which she ignores and doesn't even notice that. She doesn't notice. And then they carry on above the satellite dish bits or the microwave dishes. They finally get to a little platform at the very top, 2,000 feet up. And it's windy. And as... And exposed. Becky hitches herself up onto that ladder. We see, but they don't see. They don't notice. The last of the bolts on the top ladder falls out of the little hole, doesn't it? 2,000 feet down. And then we get some really nice views, either CGI or not CGI, of desert and tower. And... In glorious uh, summer sunshine. And Hunter has bought her little drone as well, a camera She's drone. She's prepared, yeah. So she can take amazing, like, 360 shots of them standing on this Woo! incredibly tall structure. And they would be. Both amazing visuals, but also terrifying because it's so high. I'm guessing her audience isn't getting that at the moment. She's going to have to upload it later because I guess they're 2,000 feet high of a signal. Well, their cell phone signal is out. Now, why do you think their cell phone signal is out? Well, because they transmit every 500 metres, and I don't think it's directional, so you'd think it would reach the 600 metres up in the sky. I don't know. Yeah, I think it would reach. I mean, we know that you can get a signal on a plane. Well, look, I mean, there are boosters every 600 metres, but that doesn't mean that the signal's petered out in 600 metres, does it? I mean, it's there for, to ensure that you can maybe choose between three or four 
three or four nodes. Yeah. So I'm thinking, you know, these 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 cell towers can do at least over a kilometer. Well, they hand wave it away. They say it must be something to do with the interference. But I mean, they we do. know that Ooh, yes, they the do. antenna is not functional. It so must be the electric light at the time. <laughs> it's nonsense, isn't it? The thing that is, it's nonsense. Yeah. If they got a signal at the base of the tower, because they make a point about that later, of course, and they but they also did something like a broadcast or a, I think a bit with a deer. So we know they've got signal at the base of the tower. If they've got signal at the base, they would have surely better signal if they go up high. Yeah. Because there'd be fewer obstructions and stuff True. like that. But I think the assumption is from the director and the writer that we're all so terrified at this point that we're not going to really be rationally assessing. Yeah, we're not giving part. a shit. No. Quite right. I was, I was literally quaking and hiding, hiding behind pillows and cushions. Because then, while they're at the top, larking around and being jubilant <laughs> that they've made it, Hunter does a thing which we have seen on videos yes. and stuff. And people by... have died from this, yeah. Yeah. She does a thing where she... she hands off. She go, yeah, she dangles. She's the free dangle on her, on her hands. Now, it's not difficult to pull yourself out of a swimming pool. Uh, so it isn't... It's just a pull-up she has to do. But at but, the same time, would you really want to do it 2,000 feet up? It's the fact that there's no margin for error, right? You just cannot get it wrong. And you know, there's the case of the Chinese guy who was di who was like a extreme parkour type thing, wasn't he? And he did this, didn't he? It was his thing. He would go up these enormously tall oh, buildings. Stop it! Right, go on. quickly, say quickly, Richard. He, he'd dangle, <laughs> and of course, he'd have his camera set up so that he oh, could no. stream it or whatever later. And his last video, therefore, is of him doing this, and he does some pull-ups. But at some point, he it's obvious that he's too fatigued to pull no himself way. up. And he can hang on at full extent for a while, but he knows he's no longer got the strength. He's hanging there knowing that he's got nothing to do now but, but, but let, let go. It's absolutely horrible. It wasn't the kind of bar where he could like swing and get his legs up instead. Another. No, it was the edge, like, you know, a right angle ledge of a oh, concrete no building. Oh, no way, the idiot. If it's a bar, huh. it's different, isn't it? You can kind you of can swing, swing your legs up, monkey bar it, it and then monkey yeah. bar it for half an hour or whatever. And then, well, then you'd be able to get it because half your weight will be on your legs, wouldn't you? You'd definitely be able to get up if if, if you got your legs on yeah. as well. Yeah. No, it's it's <sighs> it's absolutely horrific. I mean, you don't you don't see anything, of course, because the camera is fixed at the top of a building. You don't see him meet his end, but you know, just the thought of what is going through his head, it's shocking. So, yeah, that's a very difficult scene to watch, isn't it? <laughs> and there are more difficult scenes to come. Oh, Hunter dares Becky to dangle as well, right? That's right, yeah. For an extreme selfie. Which that was, I, that for me was like the most nail-biting moment. In that one, Becky is not hanging on herself. It, she's holding on to Hunter's exactly. hand. Exactly. I, I just, I, I really couldn't deal with that at all. And now... Sweaty hands, you know, I don't, you just, just no, no. Becky then ditches the ashes. So they've done the job, job done. Ashes have been distributed and dumps the dust bag out. <laughs> and then they've got the prospect of the journey down. Yeah. To my mind, going down 2,000 feet of ladders has got to be worse than worse. going up. It's much worse, yeah. Much worse. Because you can see where you're going when you're going up the ladders. Yeah. Surely... And again, this is also an extreme sport and very dangerous. But the smart thing to do would be bring parachutes, even if only for safety's sake. Bring That's parachutes. So right. Richard, these girls needed you on that trip, didn't they? <laughs> At the very least, you know, well, I'd take a parachute and one of those like baby parachutes that definitely open. <laughs> yes. Canopy yeah, ones. Yeah, so take yeah. a real parachute and take a canopy parachute in your hand that you can just hold on to and open. Yeah. Just in case. And the very worst, you'll just have a split liver kind of thing. They start back down. Becky's going to go first. But of course, we know full well what's going to happen because the we've seen the ladder's going to come right away from that, from, that, from that structure. Hunter has sensibly belayed the rope around the pole. So when the ladder gives way, the whole thing like swings out backwards from the pivot at the bottom, which is Quite absolutely <laughs> terrifying. 
And then the terrifying. ladders peel away from the structure, oh. leaving Becky dangling on the rope. Now, at this point, I was really curious. So curious, I got my stopwatch out. How long do you think, Paul, it would take to fall 2,000 feet? Who? What? You know, ladder. you. Or a ladder, say. 2,000 feet? Yes. I mean, Not you can work long. It out with a bit Not of long. Not long. It isn't long. In fact, if you work it out, it's between 11 or 12 seconds, depending yeah. on the... A ladder would reach quite a high terminal velocity, so... Yeah, it's going to be close to 11 seconds. Mm -hmm. So I timed how long it was between the ladders falling and the shots of the ladders crumpling and hitting the dusty ground at the bottom of the tower. And in the film, it's 24 seconds. Whoa. So, I mean, obviously... I wasn't expecting it to be dead right because it's a film and you're seeing reaction and reaction shot intercut, the same thing happening from one character's point of view and the other character's point of view. So obviously it's longer than it really would be. But it reminded me of an interview David Attenborough once gave. He was talking about responsibilities of being a documentary maker yeah. in his history and TV and stuff, and there was a documentary where anthropologists had gone to one of those remote tribes and witnessed the coming of age. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, where they jumped with re ropes attached to their testicles or their ankles. On their ankles. Hopefully on their ankles, well, I think. <laughs> <laughs> you you were a completely a, different tribe. That would be like a destructive <laughs> testing test of manhood, wouldn't it, if it was their testicles? <laughs> or a so, very quick way to castrate. Yeah, they they built this tower, this wooden bamboo That's right, thing. Yeah. Papua New Guinea, yeah. And or, the or young, the young country men, next to Papua New Guinea. They jump off the top with a, a rope around their ankle and it's, it arrests yeah. their fall violently. An early bungee jump, really. I suppose so. Now, apparently, David Attenborough was contacted by some anthropologists who'd watched this and they were incredibly excited. They say, we've got to go and see these people because the biophysics of this whole thing are impossible. Like, these are superhumans. You know, the, the distance they fell, yeah. it would kill, you know, it would just rip your leg off any normal person. And snap an ankle, at the very least, yeah. How the hell are they doing it? Now, Attenborough points out, well, you know, well, the answer is that it was edited footage, and you see a shot of the people on the ground looking up, and the shot of the young man at the top, he jumps, cut back to the people on the ground going, ooh, Cut back to him falling, cut back to them watching again, cut back to him at the end of the fall. The whole thing has taken place over several seconds. Really, in reality, it was much shorter than that. So they didn't fall as far. Uh -huh. But when the people watching had timed it on the TV program, they'd got this really long drop and were astounded by how they survived. <laughs> He's mentioning this as a documentary maker. Obviously, you've got to make it entertaining. You're trying to put it in a televisual format. But at the same time, it's not open university. You shouldn't be taking measurements from the screen. <laughs> That's not why it's there. They could, they could have given in the footage that was real time, I suppose, and they could have worked it out. The same thing here, isn't it? It just, it just tickled me to do this little experiment. And I was also curious to know how long it would take for someone to fall from the top of that tower. And, I mean, 11, 12 seconds is quite a long time just to be falling. Albeit, yeah. it's not all that long. I mean, it's not long enough to write a will or telephone your loved ones. <laughs> but it's long enough to contemplate that you just... I <laughs> think it might mistake. work out to be a bit more like 14 or 15 once terminal. I think terminal velocity would be reached. For a person, well, it would depend how you fell. If you, I guess you, you spread yourself out. Flying squirrel kind of thing, you could yeah. slow it down a bit. A lot of people seem to think that terminal velocity means... It's the velocity that you die on the way down at. Oh, right. Which is, of course, not true. It's just the top speed you reach, which is fast. Yeah. But none of the speeds we're talking about are fast enough to, to make you stop being alive on the way down. I'm afraid it is no. the case that you're fully conscious and awake till the moment you, you, stop, you stop falling. <laughs> <laughs> so now we get several sequences of them falling off it and climbing back up again. So, I mean, Becky has fallen off, yeah, because she goes first, goes down first. And how does she get back up? Is she pulled back up or? I can't remember. Yeah, she's on the rope, isn't she? And Hunter 
has got the other end of the rope and she manages hoist to hoist her back up. Hoist her up, yeah. Yeah. So they're stuck now on the top, on this little platform. Is the bag now left on the satellite? Their bag fell down yeah, onto the microwave repeater dish. And fortunately, that's only... <laughs> I think it's about 35 feet down because they've got 30 foot of rope, haven't they? 50 um, foot of rope. It's, yeah, it's oh, somewhere between... Somewhere, because next scene is they go down together. Back. Actually, oh. they, they find a little box at the top, an emergency box, and in there is binoculars and a flare gun. Ah. And then, you know, they're coming to terms with what they're going to do. Becky needs to pee, so Under <laughs> holds her hands whilst she squats up the edge. And it sprays everywhere, obviously. <laughs> Hunter says... I'm just glad you didn't need a shit. <laughs> I've got a funny story one of our li- involving one of our listeners who shall remain nameless, but one of us had to take a pee on a long-distance bus journey in a developing country where bus buses don't, sleeper buses don't stop. And the decision was taken to... to they, you know, there were sleeper buses, so you were led down on a kind of CT-like bed effort. Right. Uh, and the decision was taken to slide open the window and pee out the, pee out the window. Uh-huh. Like let down, which is difficult. <laughs> what we didn't expect was the spray. <laughs> All the people behind us. <laughs> so, <laughs> one of my most embarrassing moments was I was in a Japanese movie theater. I was drinking coke, and something just so funny happened in the movie that I burst out laughing and sprayed <laughs> at least four or five rows in front of me with my saliva and coke. <laughs> And he'd be in Japan. I really looked around and knew it was me. I did nothing about it. I had to sit there the rest of the movie. They just judged you. Oh, it was awful. Barbarian. <laughs> it's truly, truly, truly embarrassing. But anyways, uh, they decide to go down for the bag. Is that right? Not having no, first thrown no, their phones the, away or thrown no, one the, of the phones away. The first thing that they do is they, they remember that they had cell coverage further down the tower. Mm-hmm. So they hypothesize that if they get the phones a bit further down, They'll be able to send their messages. First thing they do, yeah. First thing they do is they lower their phones on a rope. And it don't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. So then they they decide, well, let's just drop the phone all the way to the base. Clever. And they they do it like an egg drop challenge, don't they? Yeah, they put it inside a a Converse sneaker. Yeah, wrapped up in a sock and, oh, in someone's padded bra as well. Revealing it to two. One. Four. Four. Three. One, four, three. Yeah, that's on Hunter's foot. We know that Becky notices it, but she doesn't mention it yet, does she? Until later. Well, they drop the shoe with the phone in, and quite predictably, it doesn't work. You can't. I don't think you can drop a phone from two thousand feet unless it was a Nokia. <laughs> you can't drop a smartphone from two thousand feet. No, that's right. You can't drop a smartphone uh, from a meter and a half. It's <laughs> a line with its protecting covering attached, you know. I mean, now have you not seen like every other YouTube advert, YouTube video that I watch at the moment has got a mouse cover advert? You seen those? These guys who built these special iPhone covers, they'll be in the street and they just fling the iPhone way up in the, in the air and let it crash down on the on the asphalt right in front of them, or throw it off the top of a building. And you know, then they obviously pick fake. I don't know. This advert worked. I bought a mouse backpack for my laptop. Whoa! Next time I'm taking my laptop out, I'm just going to chuck it over the balcony and go down and pick it up. I just spilled maybe a quarter bottle of whiskey on my laptop, and it seems to be okay, actually. I don't think a mouse cover would help in that circumstance. Well, I did it about half an hour ago. Well, an hour ago, and it, it seems to be perfectly okay. <laughs> I did mop most of it up. And presumably it's 40% alcohol, it evaporates. Okay, Paul, look, I've got the second factual problem with this film. Right. Which is, this TV tower, can you tell me who the fuck it's broadcasting TV to? Nobody now, it's defunct. Now, yeah, but when it was working, the only civilization in this entire valley is a diner and two blokes in an RV who are obviously a temporary fixture at best. TV it's, transmitters... It's 2,000 feet high. I'm TV guessing it's broadcasting... It's transmitting at least 100 miles wide. They're line of sight, Paul. TV transmitters. Line of sight. 
So if you can't see a major conurbation, that TV tower is doing nothing at all. Wow. It's amazing to think when you look up at those TV antennas on people's chimney pots and stuff, they or when you say you're on it, that it is pointing at a transmitter that you can see visibly. Wow. And how you know this is, one way you know this, is if, like me, you're geeky enough to read planning applications, one of the documents in a planning application for a new building is a report on how it will affect all of the other buildings' TV reception. <laughs> Only in the UK. There we go. <laughs> Sorry, they tried the phone, they tried lowering on a, on, a, on, a, on a wire, now they dropped one of their phones in a shoe to the bottom. Okay, there's only one thing to do is to go down and try and get that bloody bag, isn't there? No, first, they oh. use the binoculars. They see two guys in the RV, near the ribs and having a cold beer. <laughs> and as dusk dusks, or whatever dusk does, as it, as it turns oh, to dusk... They, they resolve to let off a flare and alert, alert them. Exactly, they fire the flare. Because they've tried yelping at them during the windy mid midday and 2,000 feet up. Never going to happen. The sound isn't going to carry, is it? So the guys do see the flare. It attracts her attention. They drive over to the antenna. Oh. They and find the girl's car where they parked it. And they decide to chuck it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was quite a funny part of the movie. Because, yeah. I mean, this movie isn't trying to be funny at all. Maybe a part, you know, a few cutie-cutie kind of girl girls together laughs. But that's genuinely a funny moment. Because tragedy hasn't yet set in. I mean, we get the feeling they're going to die up there, but it's not close. So the humour was well-timed, I think. It wasn't egregiously sort of in bad taste, was it? So I think they spend the night, a terrifying night, stuck on the top of this tiny platform. Where Becky think... has premonitions or dreams of uh, Hunter's death, doesn't she? she? She's imagining the vultures, isn't she? Like attacking. Taking them out on that cat. She's got a cut on her leg or her thigh from the ladder fall quite a deep gash that Hunter has tried to wrap up with someone's t-shirt but it's starting to maybe get infected it's starting to be a bit smelly isn't it so come the morning there's a decision if they can get hold of the drone maybe they can fly the drone drones oh. in the bag with the all bag, the water yeah. Paul and that's down there on those microwave repeated dishes what they're going to do also, also have to go down well, I guess it's going to be Hunter because she's the more foolhardy of the two and over, over the night, I think Becky sort of confronted Hunter about the 143 on her ankle, didn't she? That's right. So I think she kind of knows what was going on there. I think we're being set up for the idea that maybe they're going to push each other off. That's right. Is it going to... Or maybe they just won't... She just won't belay her properly. Just maybe, maybe she could slip accidentally. Well, Hunter, though, volunteers to rappel down to get the bag with the water and the drone. It has to be said, Hunter is unnaturally fearless throughout all of this. She's brilliant, isn't she? Yeah. Although, I've got to say, I mean, I know it's only a film, but I'm not sure that the two leads look like the kind of sinewy, yes. athletic climbing woman that I would normally associate with this kind yeah, of extreme right, sport. Yeah. Yeah. They're a little bit too There's Hollywood. no space for excess body fights, though. <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying they are fat, nor are we fat shaming. Sorry, there's no space for anybody fat, sorry. Yeah, no, exactly. Your typical climber is a real wiry piece. Three, four percent, yeah. It's all sinews and tendons, aren't they? Yeah, yeah I bet I'm very difficult body physique to keep as well if you're not climbing all the time, I should imagine. So she rappels down, but the rope isn't quite long enough to reach the bag. So she almost at the fingertips. So she unclips a carabiner and swings down on the loop of rope at the end and then jumps down onto the dish. And then she manages to hook the bag onto the end of the rope with her, the selfie stick, which was another terrifying moment. Yes, that was generally terrifying too. I, mean, I was thinking as well about all the stuff with the phones, especially when they were taking selfies and stuff. I mean, last week I was getting upset with Harper for taking a selfie in the bath because he could have dropped it in the bath at any moment. <laughs> Here are two girls. This is really triggering your OCD, wasn't yeah. it? 
I mean, this, their phones literally are their only possible lifeline, and they're taking selfies over a 2,000-foot drop. I'm waving, you know, bags with water in on a selfie stick. <laughs> so the bag is hoisted back up, is that right, to begin with? But Hunter has to jump back up to the rope, doesn't she? Yes. And as she's trying to climb up, and Becky pulls, she slips falls down the rope and Becky's terrified, terrified that, you know, something terrible has happened. She looks over the edge of the platform. And she sees apparently Hunter's managed to catch the bag at the end of the rope. As you say, she, she's damaged her hand. So she has to get Becky to pull her up hand over hand on the rope until she can get back up to the top. An interesting and important moment in the film, which we will have to come back to. Hmm. But when they get up, they put a note on the drone. They scribble a note on the drone. And they start flying it off the platform. Having charged it, let's not remember. Let's no, not no, no, not yet. Oh. First they do it without charging it, and it okay. runs out of juice. So Tantalizingly so, they just get it back in time. And they're really standing on the edge of that platform to do it. And yeah, that was all terrifying too. This is the one where there's a nightmare. Becky wakes up in the night, imagining that this bird is bothering her because it can perhaps smell her wound. But they have this idea to charge the drone using the same trick they used in the diner <laughs> from the emergency light just 30 feet above the little platform, 2,000 feet above. Now, it's this time Becky has to shinny up there, doesn't she? She does because, obviously, Hunter has hurt her hands, burnt them grabbing the rope. But she does it, you know. She monkey climbs or whatever you do up the pole and takes the cap off the light at the top, takes a bulb out, and then, and again, it's like technical and realism thing, because the plug socket wouldn't quite reach the contact. Oh, this is what she uses a commutator. Yeah. She needs a bit of conductive material. Yeah. Which she remembers her wedding ring, which she's wearing on a necklace. Presumably it's Dan's wedding ring, is it? But anyway... She takes it off the necklace and rather unwisely, I think, drops it into the light fitting. Yes, with the bare hands. Touching it as it drops in. Isn't she going to connect both? I was, I was going to say, exactly. The most probable outcome, surely, is this melted ring. Yeah. <laughs> At least blowing a fuse. It must be fused, right? And yes. Then, and then it'll just be a dead socket. But I guess, I mean, what else could she do? She has to charge the drone up. She has to. So It works, nonetheless. It works fine, yeah. But she has to stay up there a long time, hanging onto this pole, pressing the power thing into the socket with a drone on her chest. That's because it's only, it's only charging half the time because the light is flashing on and off. <laughs> Desert fever must be setting in. I mean, they've got a little bit of water now. It's got to be rationed, hasn't it? And, uh, she's violently sick a bit later on. So uh, the wound was, you know, the wound is taking its taking its toll, circling vultures, the heat, the wind, I get that dry wind, it must all sort of prey on your mind. But she makes it to full charge on the drone and shimmies back down. And this time, Paul... Celebratorily, they just they say just zoom it to the nearest diner. The, the uh, only building for 200 miles. <laughs> but it is only a mile or two away, isn't it, I think. Uh, and he gets there and just is about to cross the road again. It's hit by a lorry. Oh, It's shattered, isn't it, into smithereens? They've got binoculars so they can see the lorry driver get out and not tend to the drone. This is the point of lowest ebb, isn't it, for, for Becky? And also you would think for Hunter, but it's at this point. So it's revealed. It is. What and is I didn't revealed? see this coming. I didn't see it. I was thinking they're going to push each other off. That's how it's going to do, do, do what is going to happen. But no. Desert fever it? really has got to Becky. In what way? She's been comforting herself with the auditory and visual hallucinations. Of? Of Hunter. Hunter, her friend is not really there. Is that what you're telling me? She's been talking to her own imagination. It turns out Hunter didn't catch the bag when she slid down the rope. Instead, she fell back onto the microwave dish and bled out there. 
And really, no. Becky's looking down on her body, isn't she, with vultures pecking at it. Attending to, yeah, to her knees, you know. <laughs> Whoa. And as a storm rolls in, Beck is kind of hanging on just about. A vulture, at some point, it looks like she's, she's like given up and she's out of it. And a vulture comes. So are we saying the bag never made its way back up? No, because the bag was hooked onto the rope by Hunter before she slips and fell. I see. Okay. So she pulled the bag up, but as hallucinatory Hunter says, there's no way you could have pulled me up, which is yeah. true, right? I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, especially in that weakened condition, there's no way you'd be able to pull an entire person up hand over hand on a rope. Maybe you just want comfort for being all alone out here. I think that's supposed to be like a big delivery line of the movie. And at this point, as the storm is rolling in and a vulture swoops in because the vulture presumably thinks that Becky is dead. Mm. But she's not dead. She was fooling the vulture. She wakes up, wrings its neck. And eats it. And eats it. That was really, that was a cool I didn't know if that was part of the hallucination, though. No, true. Maybe Ah, it was. Okay. Maybe it was. I assumed it was true, but it's not entirely clear that she's out of a out of a sort of. Well, in the narrative of the film, she needs the energy from eating the vulture, so she can then rappel down to the microwave dish where Hunter's body is, get the other shoe off Hunter, and you think, oh, she's going to do the same again. It didn't work the first time, but no. In fact, she puts the phone and the shoe inside the phone. Presses send on a message to daddy, hey, come and collect me. And she shoves it in to Hunter's open wound in her abdomen and then pushes her whole body off, which is quite clever. And we could presume that the phone would survive and not get wetened. (laughs) So the message to dad gets through and he finally arrives to see them handling a body at the bottom but Becky is alive and well. This was very curse, cursorily dealt with, wasn't it? You know, he was like, oh, oh gosh, no, my daughter's dead. Oh, wait a minute. No, she's not. She's alive. I thought all that had just happened way too quickly. They kind of shoehorned it into the end of the movie. After such a good twist, which I didn't see coming, I thought we just needed a bit more resolution between daughter and daughter and father. And I think Becky finally realizes that dad is really rooting for her and he's a great guy. And so she's cured of her, her grief. grief. Yeah. And she's got rid of a useless friend too. So, so <laughs> a win-win, really. Happy ending. And she seems not that traumatized by by what's happened at all. I mean, if it was me, I'd be thinking, "Gosh, I'm really cursed." You know, all everybody climbs with me dies. <laughs> but not Becky. It's a straight up and down story, literally, isn't it? Yeah. In many ways, I mean, with no down really. I mean, there was no way down, was there? Essentially. They glossed over an important point, which is how the hell did they rescue her? Helicopter. We see a helicopter in the sky, don't we? Yeah. Okay. So remember. Winch. Okay. Winch from where? A very high way up so you don't blow her off. <laughs> she, she's not on the top. Oh, cool. No, she's on the microwave thing. So she's, you know, 100 feet or more. Okay, so the they're going to have to abseil down, aren't they? And get it. I mean, no, I mean, the, the logistics of rescuing her would be absolutely mind-boggling. I don't know how you well, do it. Well, do it pretty quickly because by the time Dad <laughs> arrives in his SUV, she's down there. She's already the, down. Uh, in the in the reflective blanket, isn't she? It's hand-waved away, isn't it? But look, this is the point about this film. It's really just about the thrill and the visceral experience of seeing this yeah. horrifying height and its effects on these girls. It should come with a warning, you know. If you're not looking for a program of exposure therapy, you know, cognitive, cognitive <laughs> behavioral therapy, uh, you know, this, 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 this movie contains flashing vertigo images kind of thing. Yes. It's very affecting, isn't it? Really, really, really effective and affecting in what it does. Presumably there are people who are not affected by heights who don't, don't mind not bothered by it at all. But then they, they wouldn't enjoy the movie because there's very little else. Would. There's nothing to else yeah. about the movie apart from that little that twist. Yeah, it constantly sort of picks at your painful fear of height scab, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I suppose if you were frightened of vultures, also it would maybe give you heebie-jeebies. They're not nice birds, are they? At the best of times, but I mean, she dealt with it pretty quickly. The biggest price has to come for like the flamenco rhythm of. 
the prompts and the tweaks to making you feel scared of the heights again, it doesn't really get boring. It remains really scary all the way through. So what are you going to give for the acting? It was more than passable. Jeffrey but... Dean Morgan, of course, her dad, who is famous for his role in Walking Dead as the evil bad guy Negan, is, it? is he? I can't remember I the name. I think it might be. But I would expect him more of a blowout, you know, when, when Becky finally confronts her about the fact that uh, Hunter's been shagging her, shagging her husband. True. It's a bit muted. I mean, I suppose they're, they're about to die, to aren't yeah. they? Yeah. yeah. You'd think they'd have a real, you know, set to about them. But there isn't, there's no soap opera histrionics about it, really, is there? It's just a kind of quiet hurt and the betrayal. In fact, it's dealt with very quickly, isn't it? Because Hunter just says, you know, I fell in love with the same guy rather than I was trying to steal your man kind of territory. I'm going to go 6.5 on the acting. I mean, it wasn't shocking and it wasn't superb. Certainly, you know, if Christian Bale was doing this, presumably he would have a had actually learned how to <laughs> how to climb or, or you know, yeah. yeah, I'll give it a seven. By the way, this film was made not on a real TV tower, and it's not a real TV tower because obviously, again, it, it's it's in the middle of nowhere. There would be no need to build a TV tower there, right? It's based on a similar TV tower that's somewhere in California, presumably somewhere overlooking, you know, greater LA or San Francisco or San Diego or somewhere where there are actually TV viewers. <laughs> they built the set on the top of a high mountain out in the desert and they Whoa. built the top platform bit. So most of it was done on location on a fake small tower and it's just filmed so you see them on the top with the sky behind kind of thing. They were kind of exposed, but they weren't really, really, really high. So how about plot? Yeah, you should say up and down. I thought it worked quite well. I love the twist. You know, the twist you expect is them to be pushing each other off a ledge, you know, going hammer and tong about surviving and maybe some sort of cannibalism, that kind of thing. But I just never got the idea that we would be, you know, stuffing Stuffing little presents of mobile phones inside dead people's innards. Or eating vultures. Or hallucinating a friend, you know. There are some plot holes. Why yes. is the TV tower here? Why isn't it maintained? How the hell did they not short out the light? <laughs> why don't they have cell phone reception? True, true. It's true. a bit contrived, but we know why it's contrived. Because it's not about that, is it? It's yeah. all about keeping us on tenterhooks with the really quite amazing sense of vertigo it inspires. So for me, an eight for the plot. I, I, th I thought it worked what it needed to do. I'll give it a six for plot. It is a bit perfunctory, yeah. All right. Okay, how about constant edge of seat thrill? Did it do that for you or not? Oh, yeah, yeah. As I say, most of successful. clenched absolutely like, you know, diamond tight. Good. Grief. I think that's why it's had such a good reception. It's going to be really popular with the young ones, isn't it? You know, it's, it's back to thrilling cinema, isn't it? Yeah. It is genuinely thrilling. I've got to give it a nine. It was genuinely thrilling. I'll give it a Deeply eight. uncomfortable. Otto. Eight for me. And finally, you know, how about vistas and cinematography? I think a lot of the thrill was in the clever way some of these slipping feet and sort of clenched, clenched knuckles over edges were really shot. It did work for me. So cinematography, I'm going to give an eight too. I don't know how you feel about it. Yeah, cleverly filmed. There are some CGI special effects moments gnarly here. that yeah. don't totally work. The ladders, when they're falling, are not quite right. And the bit right at the beginning on the cliff where Dan falls, not yeah. quite right. But, I mean, they're doing it on the cheap, aren't they? I'm sure. I, I, found, I found out how much. $3 million they did all this for. So well done. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cheap, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, go on. I'll give him an eight. Just for value for money. So I wasn't expecting to score it so high. It's going to be a 7.5 for me. A definite recommend. I really, really enjoyed this movie. It's six or seven territory, yeah. But I, I like the fact that the, the young women doing brave things without either diverting into that kind of uh, college sorority kind of histrionics about how great women are. Yeah, yeah. Or like just over-egging the masculine values they might possess. You know? That's also true, yeah, yeah. Well done, I thought. It was like right down the line. It was very believable that they, as women, were doing what they were doing. Yeah. 
well, fearless well written in that regard yeah. yeah so that was that was plum i thought that was really a nice plum line they, they discovered there. so praise from me i really enjoyed this one thanks for finding it richard i kind of guess it brings us on to what we're doing next week <laughs> well you had a bunch of suggestions i did i've got four i don't know if you want four but I think it's your turn to choose. I'm sure I chose four, didn't I? Oh. Okay. So, so I present myself with suggestions, is that what you said? I think, yeah. The way this is going is <laughs> we have a list and then you decide which okay, one. Okay, I'm want. judge, jury, and execution and not like yeah, yeah, disagree yeah. with that. Okay, so another kind of platform is in platform. We've platform, got more. A Spanish film about a prison where food is distributed in a weird way, yes. Okay. So, I mean, we, we've headed down this route, you know, sort of extended working models of society, uh, structure represented in High Rise and recently in Triangle of Sadness, is that right? Yes. And one more that I can't quite remember. Okay, I guess you might say fall is something to do with some sort of representation of something. Uh, platform, yeah, we've got a more triangliness with triangle. I like the one nameness of all this. Triangle is more of a horror time loop movie. I believe. Oh, okay. Yeah. Got white noise, which sounds and looks intriguing. White finally, noise. Finally, last and first man or men. I'm not quite sure which one it is. Last and first men. It has Tilda Swinton in it, which oh, may recommend we first to. saw, I think, years ago on that Korean Express train movie. Snowpiercer, yes. Snowpiercer, thank you. That's the first time we saw it on our, on our review series. Well, I mean... Ooh, I'm really intrigued and tempted by platform. Triangle sounds like fun. Uh, do you want know to think about Last and First Men? Because I certainly don't. I've recommended it. I think it's very much like what the title says. I think it's like in a, an examination of the, the state of man and how we might expect to develop or something. I, but I oh. don't really know. Yeah. But I kind of want to go and I'm going to choose White Noise. White Noise? Yeah. Okay. Well, have you seen it before? Nope. Hooray. Good. That's next week's film then. White noise. Until then. Do join us. Goodbye from me. And it's ciao for now. See you on the next one. Bye-bye. Thank you.